Thank you, Sydney. How many of you this morning woke up and said, I'm going to learn a turkey handshake in church? Any of you do that? I don't know that we learned it, but we at least got exposed to it. That was awesome. Um, See if that goes home with us. You know, there are lots of things we learn from our kids, and in our season, my season, Judy's in my season, we're learning things from our grandkids. This is learning to drive season for our 15, now 16-year-old. How many of you remember learning to drive? How many of you are yet to learn to drive? I just, yeah, yeah, okay. Just wondering about the folks around you. So as my 15-year-old got his permit, um, walked him through that process, it was really exciting. He had a sense of overconfidence on the front end of that experience. It was tempered by an initial fail, but second round victory, you know, so that works. And then as we hit the road, I'm having all these flashbacks to my own season of learning to drive. Mostly okay memories, some near disasters. What I found is it was very helpful if I could make the shift and have my grandson sit in the position of the trainer, and I'm the learning driver. And I give him an opportunity to give me his perspective and and to give me instruction, and I'll, like, only do what he says. Like, he can't presume upon me knowing how to drive. And what I found is that that shift of perspective has served us as we've continued to work at this to build a trust for taking on this new learning experience of driving. He's been having to learn to trust, trust himself and trust me, trust the instruction I give. I've been learning to trust because I don't have the benefit of a car that has a brake and a steering wheel on my side. You know how that is? That would be really helpful. Um, But in this case, it's just a matter of trust. And every time he gets in the car with me and we're going out for driver training, he's having to choose to cross a threshold from distrust to trust. It isn't a one-time experience for him. We can go out and have a really good driving experience and he can feed on that for a day or two. We can go out and have a difficult driving experience, and now he's back in distrust. He's like, I can't do this. This is too much. I'm going to get in a wreck. He's having to constantly choose to cross the threshold from distrust to trust. And I can appreciate that. It's part of the reality every one of us face, is it not? All of us have highly active distrusters. It doesn't take a lot for them to get triggered and to get pulled into the equation for them to start taking control. This distrust leads us to be self-protective and self-preserving. And what my grandson knows is if he opts for that kind of distrust, he opts out of what's available to him by taking the risk of trusting and learning how to drive. Because he's imagining learning how to drive is going to open up his world, right? And it'll elevate his cool factor. And all of those are really important. And so I get to leverage those a little bit to keep motivating and encouraging him to cross his 
threshold of distrust. This is a series we're in. We're in a series we've called Thresholds, simply identifying how is it we move from the familiar to the unfamiliar? How is it we move from the risky to the vulnerable? How is it we move from the broken to the healed? Those are the questions we've been asking God to walk us through. So a couple of weeks ago, the focus was on moving from victim to difference maker. There's a threshold we cross in taking that journey. Last week, we focused on moving from lonely to friend, and there's a threshold to cross for that. And today, our focus is on moving from distrust to trust. And there's some elements in that threshold I hope we can focus on today and discover that God Himself is the one we can trust when we're taking that journey from distrust to trust. As our songs have expressed this morning, as the stories have expressed this morning, Jesus has offered Himself as the source of trust. What we want to explore today, is He able to be trusted? What does trust mean? Trust simply means firm belief in the reliability, the truth, or the ability or strength of someone or something. There's this nonstop invitation from God for us to trust Him, and one of the scriptures that express that may be familiar to you, but I want to rehearse it for us today as we get started. It's from Proverbs, a book of wisdom, and in chapter 3 of that book, here are the verses that are offered. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him, and He will make your paths straight. This is such a strong invitation, and it's expressed throughout the Scriptures in different ways. The question that rises is, how do I do this? How do I actually trust like this? I'm addicted to distrust. My truster is deeply damaged. If I'm to move across this threshold from distrust to trust, it's going to require that I confront the voices in my head that scream out these trust-withering messages. Don't go there. Don't go there. Don't trust. It'll take you out. Of the many voices that are available to us, I'm going to use these to help us see and feel them. One of those voices is the voice of doubt. And the voice of doubt says you can't count on anyone or anything. And there it sits, proclaiming its message. There's the voice of failure. And the voice of failure simply says if you take the risk, you risk loss and embarrassment. You can't afford to fail. There's the voice of betrayal, and this is the voice that says agreements and relationships shouldn't be formed because they just get broken. They just get broken. And then there's the voice of fear, and the voice of fear says, I can take a run at it, but I'm going to lose, and I'll suffer, and I'll be less than. And it's this voice of fear that we're most familiar with. It's the voice that stands out, I think, over all the other voices. It's the most prominent for us. And I offer that because it's part of my own experience, but I offer it because it's the declaration of Scripture. So, so much of Scripture is aimed at addressing this voice. These voices of distrust find themselves in the cracks of our broken heart. They exploit 
the damage that is true of us for all of time and all of mankind. The distrust and disobedience of mankind has formed these cracks in our broken heart. From one trust failure to the next, we build our own ego-driven, ego-protecting strategies to quiet these voices, to protect ourselves, to preserve ourselves, because we recognize that trusting anyone or anything in order to get what we need is likely to fail. And so distrust is the option, and we end up paralyzed by this kind of distrust. As we've been singing this morning, Jesus has come to restore trust. When we say the name of Jesus, it's a recognition that someone has interrupted my life, my time and space experience, and offered me trust. A person and a, and a way of life that is reliable and dependable. Here's how the prophet Isaiah says it in Isaiah 61. He says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up or heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and to release from darkness for prisoners. This is who Jesus is. Jesus has come to do this for us. He's entered into the cracks of our heart to heal the distrust that keeps us away from him. He heals the brokenhearted. He sets captives free, and he breaks the bondage of darkness. That's Jesus. It's God who ultimately heals our cracked hearts and breaks us free from this bondage of distrust. He's offering himself to address the source of my distrust, not the circumstances of my distrust, but my heart. I go back to 2006. Um, I'm in Austin, Texas. Our oldest son has had ankle reconstructive surgery. And uh, Judy is about to fly to Wisconsin uh, to be with our daughter, who uh, has two children and very pregnant with a third, and has just brought her second born home from the hospital, having been there to be treated for an, uh, an infection in a leg bone. So Judy's gone up, not feeling well. And within 24 hours after she's there, uh, she's in the hospital really, really sick. So Anna's on the phone with me saying, hey, what do we do with this? And we're talking to other doctor friends, trying to figure out, you know, armchair coach this medical problem. And within the next 24 hours, uh, she's headed for emergency surgery. So I'm on the first plane I can get out of Austin to try to get there before surgery, can't do it. I hit Chicago, I'm in the car, I'm driving to Milwaukee. And I get a phone call from a friend. And this friend has become intimately aware of what's going on. I don't remember how. But what this friend knew is if we could make connection, he could help me. What I knew is I needed an encounter with God to meet me in my moment of deep distrust that what was happening was out of control. And that's what defined reality. It doesn't. But that's exactly what was all over me. So this friend begins to talk to me. 
And I'm having trouble tracking with him because his call just opened up these floodgates for me. So I pull over off the interstate and uh, try to collect myself just enough to gain the benefit of what he has to offer. And I just remember, he just began praying. He just began praying in his prayers. He's rehearsing the promises of God. He's appealing for God's presence to be with Judy and to be with me. He's calling upon us to have a sense of being together, though we're hundreds of miles apart. He's calling for the provisions we need, the right physicians and answers to this issue. He's calling for the power of God to intervene. I'm so thankful for it because I couldn't do that at the time. That, that wasn't what was going on in me. I'm over on this side of the threshold. Listening to all these voices that are telling me, don't trust. Don't trust. And to have a friend enter that picture and join us in the journey and, and to show us a way to trust when we couldn't was really invaluable. We were there almost three weeks and a couple of surgeries later, and we left the hospital on Good Friday. It was a really good Friday. Whether your experience of this is physical or financial or relational, when we talk about who Jesus is, he simply offers himself for who he is right in the middle of that challenge, right in the middle of those voices, telling you, for good reason, not to trust. I want to offer you some of the things I think God taught us during that journey. One is, when you're choosing to cross this threshold, you're, you're saying, yes, I'm going to take the journey from distrust to trust. One, uh, do it with friends. Do it with friends. Borrow their picture and their practice, their way of trusting. Do it with friends. When our friends would call or we'd receive emails, uh, it was so vital for our own hearts and the needs of our hearts in that season to remind us of who God was and what God was making available because the immediate circumstances clouded that out. The brokenness of our own hearts clouded that out. But the voices of friends and their trust was monumental for us. A second thing we learned is listen to God's voice. God's offering himself to us. He's disclosing himself to us. He's inviting us to hear him. The scriptures declare that if we're his sheep, his sheep hear his voice and know him and recognize him. Listen to him. Pray. He wants to hear your voice. And then listen for his. Third, engage with your Bible. Because what the Bible represents for you and me is this living conversation with God. We can join him in that conversation by engaging in the Bible. Some of you may read and love to read. Others of you may choose to listen. However you do it, engage with the Bible. Here's what Hebrews 4 says about the Bible. The Word of God is alive and active. It is sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before His eyes. 
and he is the one to whom we're accountable. He's offered us this living conversation to expose the voices that fill these broken cracks in our heart and keep telling us, don't trust, don't trust. Engage with the Bible. Last, write out your own reflections. Capture your story in the journey of trusting. Don't trust your memory. Write it out. To be able to go back and review the, the notes we captured, the emails we exchanged, the, the words of our story serve as this personal mirror or personal reminder of the presence and the activity of God. Remembering what your words say will strengthen the threads of your trusting in a season of high challenge. Yeah. When we're confronted with the things that threaten us most is the time we're likely most to need a friend who trusts, a way of conversing with God and hearing from Him that builds our confidence in Him, to engage in the Scriptures, to capture the story. That's when we need that. As many of you know, I had a March surprise this past March. Um, some very capable physicians discovered I had arterial blockages. And uh, as a result, I had bypass surgery on March 8th. So thankful, so thankful for it. But what I discovered in that journey is initially it all seemed kind of clinical. You know, you're in there having medical conversations, you're doing tests. I mean, things are just happening in, in a scientific kind of clinical way. But it was in those quiet moments when that activity wasn't going on that in my own heart these questions were rising. Okay, God, what, what are you up to? What, what is this? And, and, you know, kind of that phrase, really? This? Really? You know, I just, as though somehow I was owed something different. But on the front end of that journey, I, I, I'm not aware of these self-serving orientations. I'm just kind of in the distrust place. Fortunately, God provided a phenomenal team. They did great work. I'm on the other side of surgery, and I have these friends who join. Several staff friends jumped in. I remember Tom Bronner and Steve Fisher coming up to the room and, and making me laugh, which was really unfair. Uh, if you've had your chest opened, you don't want to laugh. I just want you to know you may want to laugh, but you actually don't want to laugh. It's just not that funny. It was funny for them. They're exploiters. I just want you to know that. But it was part of their trust that I could, I could lean on. Tim Richards, a friend, recently retired deputy chief here in the Latha Fire Department, would come up to the room in recovery and he'd walk with me. He'd walk with me. He was like a trainer. He wanted to make sure I was out of the bed. I was doing my walking. Bill McMurtry is a friend here, Brother Bill, if you know him, and he would drive over to my home on these cold spring mornings and get me out and walk me. I didn't feel like a dog or a pet, but it was close. I mean, it was... But what I gained from it was a friend who cared enough to lend their trust that there was something better, there was something ahead, there was something bigger than the moment I was in in my limitations and weakness. 
to encourage me in my own journey to trust a God who was present, even when I doubted He was. God did some work in my own heart of hearts in that season to expose some doubt that I have. Doubt that God will really come through on what He's promised. Doubt that He'll deliver. Doubt that He'll bring the movement. Doubt that He'll change me. And what it led to was some deep unbelief in me. And He met me there by simply inviting me to get to know Him in a fresh way. So I found during my recovery time, I would be reading about who God is. Who is He in His character? And who is He in His conduct that I might find Belief renewed, trust renewed through the revelation of God himself. We have a lot of good reasons to doubt, for instance. But when we feed on it, we make our case for it, it just expands in the cracks in our heart. And God says, I, I have a provision for you. So track with me this way, if you would. Where doubt feeds on the lie that you can't be certain about anything. Trust rests on the truth that it's based on the object of your trust. Trust in that which is fully trustable. Failure feeds on the lie that risk and vulnerability only have a downside. Trust rests on the truth that risk and vulnerability are essential to gaining anything meaningful. Betrayal feeds on the lie that someone else owes me and someone else controls my life experience. Trust rests on the truth that how I decide and act and respond to others' actions is my choice. It's in my hands. Fear feeds on the lie that everyone and everything is far more powerful than me. But trust rests on the truth that I can experience uncompromised love, which casts out fear. Here's how John wrote it. This is how we know that we live in Him. We live in God, and He, God, lives in us. He has given us His Spirit, and we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us, for God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete in us so that we have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we're like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And since Jesus has taken all of our punishment, He's loving us free from punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. God has offered Himself to move us to this place of confidence Not fearful, but trusting. Trust is tender and it's tough. It's accessible and it's durable. It's offered and it's built. It's broken and it's restored. The challenge is when we face this threshold of moving from distrust to trust, we've got to make some choices in that journey. 
Those choices are going to require humility and honesty, truth and courage. And God has offered us these things. These aren't generated of us. God has offered us humility and honesty, truth and courage, and he will provide. Here's some things to hold on to as we take this journey from distrust to trust, trusting in who God is and what God offers. One of the steps we'll take is we'll embrace God's promises. For in his promises, he reveals his character and his care. Here's how it is expressed in Isaiah 26. He says, in that day, this song will be sung all throughout Judah. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord, the Lord himself is the rock eternal. Yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. Your name and your renown, your name and your reputation are the desire of our hearts. When it comes to taking this journey across this threshold, I have to know who God is. Can I rely on him? And what God says, I'm going to make myself available to you. You have full access, and I'll demonstrate I'm true and I'm trustworthy. That's what God says. But I have to know his promises to hang on to that. Second, I I have his presence. He's offered himself. My challenge is I have to embrace his offer to be with me. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and capture what's offered to us there about his presence. It is written, What no eye has seen and no ear has heard and what no human mind can conceive, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit, for the spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God, because he wants us to experience them. He wants us to gain the strength of them. And he has offered them what no eye has seen and no ear has heard, what we don't even imagine. It's beyond our limitations, and yet it's available to us. It's fully available to us. He says in Hebrews 13, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. His presence. We have his promises. We have his presence. We also have his provisions. And God's provisions, he's generous toward me. He's personal and timely. What he offers is significant, and it's sufficient. His provisions. James says it this way. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. As much as I'd like to be free of the difficulty of moving from distrust to trust, what we're being told here is that that very movement across that threshold builds strength. He goes on to say, If any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God who gives it generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like the wave of a sea. It's blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. That person is double-minded and unstable in all their ways. He's promised provision, and he will make it generously as we appeal to him for it, believing. Last is God's power is available. His promises, 
His presence, his provisions, and now his power. His strength is made complete in my weakness, in my limitations, and in my brokenness. Remember, he's come to heal a broken heart, to set us free, and to put light in darkness. Here he says in 2 Corinthians 12, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Power is perfected in weakness. There was a gentleman in Chicago, this would have been in the late 1800s, 1871, Horatio Spafford was his name, and he was a successful lawyer and had become a real estate investor. But in, 19, in 1871, you may recall, there was a fire that consumed great portions of Chicago, and it so happened that it consumed many of his properties. It was the same year, a few months before that, that his two-year-old son died. So here's a gentleman who's a follower of Jesus, has experienced the death of his two-year-old and a couple months later sees the destruction of his business and wealth, and he's facing this journey, this threshold of moving from distrust to trust. He begins to rebuild and restore his uh, businesses and in the process sends his wife to England. His wife and four daughters board a ship and head to England, and on the way there, they're struck by another boat, and their boat sinks. And she gets to England. She survives and is rescued and sends back a telegram to Horatio and says, just me. What do I do? As God would have it, uh, Horatio boarded a ship, and he made his way to England to join his wife. And on the way, the ship captain told him the area in which the ship had gone down. And in the midst of that loss, he put to words his journey of moving from distrust to trust. And it's a song that's been used now all of these years to declare a God who is present, a God who's promised a God who has provision, and a God who's powerful. I wanted us to have the benefit of his song today because it may encourage you to write down what you're experiencing. Maybe it's not a song. Maybe it's just bullet points. Maybe it's a rap. I, whatever it is, capture it. Don't let it pass. Don't just let it be other people's stories because what God's offering you is your story. He's offering himself to you. You're not taking this journey from distrust to trust alone. I'm not taking this journey from distrust to trust alone. Where I want to live is in trust. We can benefit from one another in that journey. Let's benefit from Horatio Spafford's capture of his story. When
And it doesn't matter if your words turn out as song. Just turn them out. Just capture this journey for you. That he could write these words as he's over the place of his daughter's death. Is representative of someone who has repeatedly chosen to make the journey from distrust to trust. And he's experiencing the provision of Jesus healing his broken heart meeting him there personally, timely, significantly, so that he could express these truthfully from his heart. Love for all of us to join in singing that. Would you stand with me? Stand with Anna. Let's join with her as she leads us in expressing this together. Pray it will be able to come from your heart. And when peace like a Tendeth my way when sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say. that God has exactly what we need to replace these voices of doubt and failure, of betrayal and fear with His voice. And so what I'd love to do is finish by declaring together God's invitation to us to trust Him. I want to go back to our Proverbs 3 scripture, and I'm going to apply the sword of the Spirit, if you will, with my little small blade, okay? And we're going to deflate these voices. You with me? Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's read it together. Trust in the Lord with all my heart and lean not on my own understanding. Yeah. In all my ways, submit to him and he will make my paths straight. Can you believe him for that? Let's believe him for that today. Can we? Yeah. Father, in your righteous name, we just acknowledge our weakness, our limitations, and our neediness, and we acknowledge your greatness and your presence and your sufficiency. And this week, 
take us over our threshold from distrust to trust. We trust you for that this week in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week, Heartland.